Chapter Thirty Seven of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Thirty Seven In Earnest. When Lottie awoke, the storm had passed away. The moon in her last quarter was rising in pale, unclouded light over eastern mountains and bringing into dusky outline many intervening hills at first bewildered and not knowing where she was she rose up hastily but after a moment the events of the preceding evening came to her and she remembered with gratitude how they had found partial shelter from the storm with something of a child's wonder and pleasure she looked around upon a scene more wild and strange than any she had ever seen even in pictures of gypsy encampments. Bell and Addie were sleeping by her side, as if such a nightly bivouac were an ordinary experience. In like heavy stupor, the forest lay near the fire, though the music of his dreams was by no means sweet. He had made his watch a very brief one, and, having piled the fire high with light brushwood that would soon be consumed, and leaving no supply on hand, he had succumbed to the combined influences of the cold and the brandy and now with the flames lighting up his face he looked like a handsome bandit the patient horses stood motionless and shadowy a little at one side above her head rose high rocky crags from whose crevices clung bushes and stunted trees with their crest of snow and snow bright and gleaming near the fire but growing pale and ghostly, dull and leaden, in the distance stretched away before her as far as she could see, while from this white surface rose shrubs, evergreens, and the gaunt outline of trees in the haphazard grouping of the wilderness, where before the storm had rushed with moan and shriek, now brooded a quiet which only the crackling of the flames and de Forest's resonant nasal organ disturbed but hemstead was nowhere to be seen she was becoming very solicitous fearing that he had straggled off alone in order to bring them relief when a sound caught her attention and she saw him coming with a load of cordwood upon his shoulder she reclined again that she might watch him a few moments unperceived he threw his burden down and put a stick or two of the heavy wood on the fire then Lottie noticed that the genial heat no longer came from the quickly consumed brush, but from solid wood, of which there was a goodly store on hand. The student stood a few moments looking at the fire, then his eyes drooped, and he swayed back and forth, as if nearly overpowered by sleep and weariness. Then he would straighten himself up, in a way that made Lottie feel like laughing and crying at the same time, so great was his effort to patiently maintain his watch at last he tried the expedient of going to the horses and petting them but before he knew it he was leaning on the neck of one of them half asleep then lottie saw him come directly toward her and half closed her eyes the student looked long and fixedly at her face as the firelight shone upon it then drew himself up straight as a soldier and marched back and forth like a sentinel on duty but after a little while his steps grew irregular and he was evidently almost asleep even while he walked then she saw him turn off abruptly and disappear in the shadowy forest 
she sprang up and secreting herself behind an adjacent evergreen waited for his return soon she saw him staggering back under another great load of cordwood he at once noticed her absence and was wide awake instantly he seized a heavy stick for a club as if he would pursue an enemy who might have carried her off when her low laugh brought him to her side don't you hit me with that she said advancing to the fire i thank you very cordially for waking me up so thoroughly he said delighted at finding her so bright and well and in such good spirits after all her exposure i admit to my shame that i was almost asleep two or three times here is another assertion of your masculine superiority she replied in mock severity i may sleep as a matter of course but you as a man are to rise superior even to nature herself and remain awake as long as your imperious will dictates i am much afraid he said ruefully if you had not spoken to me my imperious will would soon have tumbled helplessly off its throne and you would have found your watchman and protector little better than one of these logs here who has decreed that you must watch all night while the rest of us sleep come it's my turn now and i will watch and protect you for a little while do you mean for me to sleep while you sit here alone and watch certainly i'll put my hand in the fire first if in no other way can i keep awake didn't you call me captain you will have to obey your orders i'll mutiny in this case rest assured besides i'm not sleepy any more why what's the matter do you think i could sleep while you were awake and willing to talk to me i slept a long time while you were awake she pulled out her watch and exclaimed mr hemstead in ten minutes more we enter on a new year how much may happen within a year and even a few days of a year he said musingly it seems an age since i tossed my books aside and yet it was within this month the whole world has changed to me since that day i hope for the better said lottie gently yes for the better whatever may be the future that sabbath afternoon when you led me to the one whom i was misrepresenting and wronging cannot fail to make me and that little bit of the world which i can reach the better i feel that i shall owe to you my best christian experience and usefulness and i feel that i should never have been a christian at all if i had not met you she said looking gratefully up i trust god will never permit me to be again the false selfish creature that i was when i first took your hand in seeming kindness i trust that god has been leading us both said hemstead gravely and thoughtfully lottie again took out her watch and said in the low tone which we use in the presence of the dying mr hemstead the old year is passing there is but a moment left he uncovered his head and bowing reverently said may god forgive us all the folly and evil of the past year for the sake of his dear son lottie's head bowed as low and reverently as his and for several moments neither spoke then he turned and took her hand as he said 
many have wished you a happy new year before but i can scarcely think that any one ever meant the words as i do miss lottie i would do anything suffer anything and give up anything save honor and duty to make you happy you have often laughed at me because i carried my thoughts and feelings in my face therefore you know well that i love you with all the truth and strength of which i am capable but i have had a dread lest my love might eventually make you unhappy you know what my life will be and duty will never permit me to change her answer was very different from what he expected almost reproachfully she asked mr hemstead is earthly happiness the end and aim of your life no he said after a moment what then usefulness i trust in doing faithfully the work that god gives me and must i of necessity differ from you in this respect miss lottie forgive me i am not worthy of you but can it be possible that you are willing to share in my humble toilsome life i fear you have no idea of the hardships and privations involved i stood by you faithfully last night in the storm did i not she said with a shy half mischievous glance it seems too good to be true he said in a low tone was there ever such a diffident modest creature she said brusquely mr hemstead you will never enter heaven the angels will have to pull you in one angel has made a heaven of this dreary place already he answered seeking to draw her to him wait a moment what do you mean sir i have made you no promises and given you no rights but i have made you no end of promises and given you absolute right over me my every glance has said lottie marsden i am yours body and soul so far as a man with a conscience can be all this counts for nothing said lottie with a little impatient stamp of her foot i promised that dear old meddler uncle dimmerly that you in deep humility and penitence for having arrogantly assumed that you could be a missionary and i couldn't should ask me to be a home missionary and you have wasted lots of precious time he caught her quaint humor and taking her hand and dropping on one knee said lottie marsden child of luxury the prize which the proudest covet will you leave your elegant home Will you turn your back upon the world which is at your feet and go with me away to the far west that you may become a poor forlorn home missionary yes frank in your home but never forlorn while i have you to laugh at and never poor while i possess your big unworldly heart have i any rights now he exclaimed and springing up he exercised them to a degree that almost took her breath away here behave yourself she said the idea of one who had plumed himself on his heroic self-sacrifice acting so like an ordinary mortal you have had more kisses now than you ought in a week if we are to be so poor we ought to begin practising economy at once you are the most beautiful and spicy compound that nature ever fashioned he exultingly replied holding her off devouring her with his eyes i plainly foresee that you can fill the poorest little home with light and music yes i warn you before it's too late that i can never become a solemn ghostly sort of a missionary 
oh it's too late now i assure you he said my mind is made up so is mine that you shall take a long nap while i mount guard nap indeed he said indignantly when the gates of pearl bang after one with their musical clangor and shut out forever the misery of earth will one's first impulse on the threshold of heaven be to take a nap what extravagant language you ministers talk much too familiarly of heaven and such things no indeed lottie dear the more familiar the thought of heaven is to us the better you shall have a good home there if a very humble one here but do you realize how much you are giving up yes she said ruefully the worst heartache i ever had i don't believe you felt half so badly as i did but when the hard and prosaic life comes with its daily cares and weary burdens are you sure that you will not regret your action are you sure that you will not wish yourself again the queenly belle with the world at your feet who with right claims the higher rank lottie answered her lovely face growing noble with her thought a queenly belle with a false selfish heart or a christian woman and what is that world which you say is at my feet where is it to-night where was it when the tempest made it doubtful whether we should ever see this new year here i am in the solemn midnight and upon this desolate mountain is it not the softness of a summer night to which we are exposed it is midwinter and yet i am certain that there is not a queen on earth as happy as i am but what part has that world to which you refer had in making me happy i knew there was danger last night i had read of people perishing in the snow almost at their own doors i think i realized that death might be near but my heart was so light and happy in the consciousness of your love and god's love that i could look at the grim old fellow and laugh in his face but suppose that i had nothing better then to think of than this vague world about which you are making so much ado once before when the world was at my feet as you term it i faced a sudden danger in your company thanks to god's mercy and your skill and strength we were not dashed down into that ravine when the horses ran away what did the world do for me then did it throw a ray of light into that black gulf of death which yawned on every side oh thank god she said with passionate earnestness that i was not sent out of life that night a shivering ghost a homeless wanderer forever but what could the world do to prevent it i know all about that glittering world frank to gain which so many are staking their all and i know it's more of a phantom than a reality it flattered me excited and intoxicated me but it never made me one hundredth part as happy as i am to-night and when i thought i had lost your respect and your love i no more thought of turning to the world for solace and happiness than i would look in a coal bin for diamonds i knew all about the world and in the depths of my soul realized that it was a sham how far away it is to-night with these solemn mountains rising all around us and yet how near seem god and heaven and how sweet and satisfying the hopes they impart i have thought it all out frank the time is coming when illness or age mortal pain and weakness will shut me away like these dark wintry hills even from your love 
much more from the uncaring heartless world but something in my heart tells me that my saviour who wept for sympathy when no one else would weep will be my strong faithful friend through it all and not for all the worlds glittering there in yonder sky much less for a poor little gilt and tinsel world in new york will i give up this assurance i am satisfied said hemstead in a tone of deep content god wills it they sat for a long time without speaking in the unison of feeling that needed no words at last in sudden transition to one of her mirthful piquant expressions lottie turned to her companion and said frank you are on the mountain-top of exalted thought and sentiment your face is as rapt as if you saw a vision can you wonder well i'm going to give you an awful tumble worse than the one you feared last night when the sleigh tipped i'm hungry as any wolf that ever howled in these mountains what a comparison said the student laughing heartily then his face becoming all solicitude he queried what shall i do and he was about to rise with the impression that he ought to do something do as i bid you of course sit still while i tell you what i shall do i shall patiently endure this aching void as i trust i shall the other inevitable ills of our lot what could be more appropriate than this prelude of hunger in one proposing to marry a home missionary with an odd blending of delight and sympathy in his face hemstead exclaimed lottie you have received more compliments than you could count in a year but i am going to give you one different from any that you have ever had before there's not even a trace of morbidness in your nature thus in playful and serious talk they passed the hours until the snow-clad mountains were sparkling in the rising sun hemstead placed upon lottie's hand a plain seal ring that had been his father's but she covered it with her glove not wishing the fact of her engagement to transpire until they should reach home at last the others awoke and what they had passed through seemed like a grotesque horrible dream de forest looked suspiciously at hemstead and lottie but could gather nothing from their quiet bearing towards each other early in the day relief reached them and by the middle of the forenoon they were doing ample justice to mrs marchmont's sumptuous breakfast then the tell-tale ring on lottie's finger revealed the secret and there was consternation but poor de forest was so outrageously hungry that he had to eat even in this most trying emergency and yet he had the painful sense that it was not the proper thing to do under the circumstances and so was exceedingly awkward for once in his life mr demerley chuckled all that sunday with unbecoming levity his sister said she poor woman had lost all confidence in herself as a good manager in her bosom indignation at her nephew and lottie contended with the dread of mrs marston's reproaches bell tried to think that it was not her fault and addie did not much care the holiday visit came to an end the months sped away lottie's purpose was severely tested every possible motive reason and argument was brought to bear upon the brave girl worse than all she had to endure the cold averted looks of those she fondly loved 
she pleaded her own cause eloquently she frequently quoted her friend's example who was about to marry the army officer but that is very different they said only once she lost her temper there was a sort of family conclave of aunts and relatives and they had beset her sorely at last she turned upon them suddenly and asked are you christians do you believe there is a god why certainly do you think we are heathen why talk then like heathen and act like infidels if it's the thing in the fashionable world to marry a trusted servant of a human government how much better must it be to marry a servant of the king of all i honor my friend because she marries the man she loves and i shall marry the one i love i am of age i have chosen my lot mark my words you will yet be proud of the one whom you now so despise while the one you wish me to marry will cover his own and the names of all connected with him with shame and she left them to recover from this bombshell of truth as best they might but the patient gentleness which she usually manifested at length won even their obdurate hearts her father was the first to relent and was finally brought by lottie's irresistible witchery quite over on her side but in her mother's case there was only partial resignation to a great but inevitable misfortune mrs marston was a sincere idolater of the world for which she lived in aunt jane lottie had a staunch ally and a sympathizing and comforting helper but the postman who brought with increasing frequency letters that were big and heavy like the writer was the man whom lottie most doted on in all the city with the whole energy of her forceful practical nature she trained herself for her work as hemstead was training himself for his and when a year later she gave him her hand at the sacred altar it was not a helpless hand years have passed mr and mrs hemstead are the chief social refining and christianizing influences of a growing western town they have the confidence and sympathy of the entire community and are people of such force that they make themselves felt in every department of life they are shaping and ennobling many characters and few days pass in which lottie does not lay up in memory some good deed though she never stops to count her hoard but in gladness she will learn in god's good time that such deeds are the riches that have no wings she made good her warning and never became a solemn ghostly sort of a missionary she was usually as wholesome as the sunshine or if the occasion required as a stiff north wind and had a pronounced little way of her own when things went wrong at home or in the church of giving all concerned the benefit of some practical common sense but she also in the main kept her pledge to endure patiently as she had borne her hunger on the mountain and many privations and trials of their lot while she sustained her husband's hand and doubled his usefulness abroad he generally found at home a sunny philosopher who laughed him out of half his troubles with increasing frequency he said lottie you are so wholesome there is not a morbid unnatural trait in you and she inspired him to preach such a wholesome sunny gospel that it won even the most prejudiced one evening a feeble aged man stepped down from the train 
and was borne off in triumph by Hemstead to the warmest corner of his hearth. Lottie gave him such a welcome that the old gentleman cried out, Hold on, my goodness gracious, haven't you sobered down yet? Then, while Frank stood near with his hand upon her shoulder, looking as proud of her as a man could be, and with just such a black-eyed cherub in her arms as she must have been herself twenty-odd years before, her face aglow with health, happiness, and content, she asked, "'Well, uncle, what do you think of your meddling now?' Mr. Dermily went off into one of his old-time chuckles as he said, "'This is one of the things which the world never can stop.'" End of chapter 37 End of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Rowe